So this morning, it's my privilege to finish up our Discipleship from a Distance series, um, which for us at least, who have been teaching it, has been a fascinating journey through the letter of Philippians. Um, today's reading is host to one of my, um, I'm going to say, least favorite verses of all time. Um, and I, I feel like I need to give that a bit of a caveat, because it's not, the, it's not the verse itself that annoys me. It's actually the way that I've heard it used and how I've heard it quoted. And that verse is a very popular verse. It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful verse. The problem is, it's sometimes used in contexts where people are talking about getting, achieving, or doing more. I'm nervous about this job interview. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to get that big bonus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We're going to buy that house, or that car, or that cat. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because it has 10 words, some of my friends used to use it when they were lifting weights. And each time they would hit the top, they'd be like, I can. And they would go, they would go through, and, 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 and that was how they would remember this verse. It's quoted, it becomes like a life motto or a life verse. But I don't think that Paul was writing about it, you know, becoming like Superman becoming more, who's like more powerful than a locomotive or leaping buildings in a single bound. When I read the whole passage, what I'm really struck by is that the life verse I think I probably actually need for myself is Philippians 4.11. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And as we continue our exploration of discipleship, it's really, really crucial for our growth that we cultivate this idea. Paul is talking about this as a way of experiencing joy and peace and contentment because of a change in him rather than a change in his circumstances. He goes on in verse, in verse 12. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. And then he reveals the secret, and that's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But you'll notice that Paul doesn't just say he needs strength to endure being poor or hungry or in need. He also needs Christ's strength in order to be faithful when he's well-fed, wealthy, and not in need of anyone's help. Why? Because poverty and plenty both have the potential to threaten our discipleship. Being poor does not mean that you, have, that you have not been faithful. And being wealthy does not mean necessarily that you are being blessed. It is wrong for us to imagine that somebody's material uh, possessions or privilege or position or status is a reflection of their spiritual growth or corresponding spiritual blessing. But it's so easy for us to do in a world of input and outcome, uh, input and output, where our outcomes apparently are based on what we've put in. And one of the reasons that I trust Paul when he starts talking about this wisdom, aside from, you know, being in the Bible and all, is that his story backs it up. He traded a privileged position of power and authority in Jerusalem's religious hierarchy in order to preach the gospel throughout the Roman Empire at massive personal risk and sacrifice. He had spent his whole life preparing for that role in Jerusalem and walked away from it. He had no other skills. According to the uh, Irish priest Jerome Murphy O'Connor, the first thing he, uh, that Paul did after leaving Jerusalem was become a tent maker, a skill that would help him pick up work on his travels. So he gives up financial security and social status 
to go on the road and become an itinerant preacher and laborer hundreds of miles from his home. And he's writing this letter from prison and where he claims he has the secret to contentment. And I'm inclined to believe him because there's no indication that his circumstances would bring happiness that comes from an external source. So what's the secret, we say? And he says the secret is that Christ gives him the strength to live in plenty and in poverty, which is beautiful, but it doesn't address the how. And so I felt really disingenuous when I was writing this talk and gave it the title, The Secret of Contentment, because Paul tells us what the secret is, but he doesn't tell us how to actually practice it. We've got to discover that ourselves. We've got to figure that individually and in community how to live this out. I think in Philippians and in the rest of Paul's writing, really, there are three clues. The first way to the secret of contentment is gratitude. Let's go back to chapter 1 in Philippians. How does Paul greet the Philippian church? In 1.4, he writes, I thank God every time I remember you. Gratitude is the act of remembering what we have and giving thanks for it. And remembering is important because it's so easy to forget and to take, every good, to take for granted every good gift and opportunity that we've been given. And then he goes on in 1, 12 to 14. He says, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they dare to speak the word with greater boldness without fear. So all of this suffering is coming externally, and yet he's so thankful, not for, the, not for what has happened in and of itself, but for what it has produced, what it has transformed. And then he goes on in verse 18, he says, what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to. In chapter 3, he writes, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, I don't want to speak badly of the translators. The translators have probably made the right decision with the translation in this particular bit of Philippians 3. But I just want to point out that the word translated as rubbish here is not what, actually what the Greek word skubalon means. The word actually refers to animal dung. So, for example, if they had translated it as bull excrement, that would probably be too specific, but the meaning would still be appropriate. Paul is so grateful for his experience of Christ and for the way in which the kingdom is transforming lives and communities all over the known world that everything else fades away. So that's the first part of the secret of contentment. The second, I think, is generosity. Later in chapter 4, he writes, You Philippians, you indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The path to contentment then is not about accumulating, but it's about giving. It's about taking what you are grateful for and using it 
to, to partner in kingdom transformation. Jenny Santi wrote an article for Time magazine, and the title of the article is The Secret to Happiness is Helping Others, where she writes this. Scientific research provides compelling data to support the anecdotal evidence that giving is a powerful pathway to personal growth and lasting happiness. Through fMRI technology, we now know that giving, the giving activates the same parts of the brain that are stimulated by food and sex. Experiments show evidence that altruism is hard, hardwired in the brain and it's pleasurable. Helping others may just be the secret to living a life that is not only happier, but also healthier, wealthier, more productive and meaningful. As Christians, this should be no surprise to us. We are made in the image of a good, gracious, and generous God whose nature is always to give, to give grace, to give mercy, to give life, and even to give his own life on our behalf. So if we seek the contentment that Paul is talking about, we need to reflect the generous heart of God. We need to learn to give our time, our money, our attention, our gifts, and our presence to what God is doing in the world. So we've got gratitude, we've got generosity. And then the third one, I think, is community. You'll notice that it's, I mean, technically it wasn't possible, but when the Philippians send the funds, the gift to Paul, they don't send it by Western Union. They sent it with Epaphroditus. I'm very, can we pump back on me a little bit? Sorry, I'm just feeling a little echoey. Thank you. They sent it with Epaphroditus, who is a messenger, um, though in the letter Paul actually uses the Greek word apostolos or apostle, meaning sent one. And what's really interesting um, is in 225, he describes, he describes Epaphroditus as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And Lightfoot describes it like this in his commentary. These three words are arranged in an ascending scale. Common sympathy, common work, common danger, toil, and suffering. You see, the God who is unity and community in Trinity has made us for connection and for collaboration. Community is at the heart of contentment. Poverty can rob people of community. It can make us so fearful for survival that we can't be present in relationships. For those who are homeless, one of the biggest challenges they face, they face is not just the change in their material circumstances, but the loss of community and then feeling dehumanized by those who view them with pity or accusation. But plenty can also rob us of community. One of the great curses, I think, of the human experience is becoming so financially independent that we actually don't need others. And so we build higher walls rather than longer tables because we fear their proximity to us. Being in poverty or in plenty doesn't prohibit or guarantee contentment, but it plays a part, I think, to the extent that it affects our connection to community. So how content are you? How content am I? How strange it is to read the words of a persecuted Jewish prisoner um, writing to his friends as I sit in comfort in the 21st century and demand to know from him, what's the secret, man? What's he know that I don't? Well, I mean, plenty, but, you know, specifically here. He knows the secret. And it's not a secret like the formulas that we often hear today where if you just do three... I'm not, this is not a YouTube ad where I'm trying to sell you the perfect life before you watch the video that you actually clicked on. I don't think Paul's idea of a secret works like the secret that we often think of today. When Paul talks about this, he's talking about transformational practice. 
that growing in these different areas, that embracing them, experiencing the goodness and wonder of them, but also the challenge of them, is what leads us towards contentment. The contentment comes from the secret, which is that Christ gives him strength. Not the strength to lift cars above his head or become a WWE champion. A different kind of strength. The strength to give thanks for what I have rather than demand what I do not. The strength to give sacrificially rather than to get and the strength to tear down the walls that I have built around my private existence to invite in the other, because in that other, I find the image, the presence, and the goodness.